0: Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Revelation 2. Now, last time in our study in the book of Revelation, we got as far as the letter to the church of Thyatira, which was an idolatrous church. And uh, we're going to review a little bit because it's hard just to jump in. We got people that are new watching on live stream i can't just jump in and just pick up where i left off last week we will review a little bit there's some stuff that i wanted to bring out i didn't bring out and so i like to include that now but symbolically the church of thyatira represents that period of church history from about 600 through 1500 a.d so what is in view here is the medieval roman catholic church As we pointed out last time, the word Thyatira means continual sacrifice. Thyatira means continual sacrifice. Now, that is important because every one of these names of these seven churches is significant and pertinent to the overall letter Jesus dictates to them. You see, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that during the Mass, the elements, the bread and the wine, are transformed into the literal, physical body and blood of Jesus Christ in a process they call transubstantiation. And after the bread and wine are transformed into the actual body and blood of Christ at each celebration of the Mass, they are then offered to God as a new sacrifice of Christ Ending with the priest saying, let us pray that our sacrifice is acceptable to God. This means in Roman Catholic theology, the priests literally, or so they believe, handle Christ's body, and the Mass is a constant reenactment or redoing of Christ's sacrifice. Hence, the Mass equals a continual sacrifice. That's Thyatira. That's one of the reasons commentators see in this letter the roman catholic church there's other reasons we talked about some of those last week go online and listen to the teaching because we did get into it quite in depth but the roman catholic church uh, believes that the continual sacrifice of christ is what really brings the grace required for salvation which of course as evangelicals we know is in direct uh, conflict with the completed work of Jesus, right? I mean, from the very cross he was hanging on, he said in John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. In fact, the Greek is tetelestai, which could be translated paid in full. There was nothing left that had to be done. I mean, the idea that my salvation is a work of Christ plus me uh, that is heresy. We'll talk about that more in a second. But, you know, what I tell people when they I try to tell them about salvation, and I know that most people are working from a works righteousness mentality. In other words, if they do certain works, they're going to be righteous in God's eyes. And we know it's by grace. I tell them, look, understand the only thing you and I added toward our salvation was the sin. That's the only thing. Uh, we, we, you know, provided the sin, Jesus did everything else, all right? So he does start off with a commendation, as he did in most of these uh, letters. The Lord always tries to find something that is good going on that he might commend a church for. Verse 19, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more. Than the first. As we said last week, this was a church uh, whose works didn't diminish over time, they actually increased. Which does beg the question how could a church so full of good works be so far off? The reason is because their good works were not rooted in the word, rather, they were rooted in social deeds, but not in sound doctrine. And guys, they're not the only church. To fall into this. There are many Protestant churches that are nothing more than social agencies. And I'm not putting that down. I mean, they are helping people. And in that respect, it's a good thing, I guess. But the problem is that Jesus never intended his church to be a social agency, he intended it to be a spiritual entity. Jesus didn't tell his church to go into all the world and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and build build schools and housing for the poor and give folks clean water to drink. I'm not putting any of that down. And certainly those are worthy endeavors. And I'm not, I'm not saying that doing some of those things or all of those things in the course of ministering to people, especially in third world countries, in Jesus' name, that it's wrong to do that. It's just that Jesus in the Great Commission told his church to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what people really need, right? But what difference does it make if we if we feed them and clothe them, but then eventually launch them into a Christless eternity with a full stomach and a warm body? No, we've been called to go into all the world and preach the good news, which alone has the power to bring eternal life. Again, guys, we can feed the hungry and clothe the naked, but if we If that's all we do as the Church of Jesus Christ, if we think that's why the Church exists, we are missing what the Church really is and the whole point of the Great Commission. Again, the mission of the Church is to preach the Gospel, to be focused on the spiritual needs of people primarily and their physical needs secondarily. If we reverse that and put the physical needs first and the spiritual needs second or neglect them altogether... We stop being the church of Jesus Christ and become just another social agency. Guys, the church is not a glorified red cross. That's a good social agency. But the church is not a glorified red cross. It is a spiritual entity. As somebody has said, the church is not a dead organization. It is a living organism because it is the body of Christ on the earth, Jesus himself being the head. And our main responsibility is to preach the good news to everyone we come in contact with. And in the course of doing that, yes, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, help the disadvantaged. But those things should take a back seat to our primary mission, which is saving the lost. So they had some good works. And um, if this is looking toward the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church uh, is involved in some good works. I mean, they have the Catholic charities, and they have orphanages and hospitals they've built. And, uh, you know, and, and and more than the Protestants, Catholic hospitals won't do abortions. They have stood firm in the fight against abortion and in homosexual marriage. And some of the things that we know as evangelicals are important that we stand against loving the homosexual, but not legitimizing homosexuality and so on, right? So the Roman Catholic Church has many good works but good works are not going to save Roman Catholics and we know that but Jesus does commend them for their good works but then he follows that closely with a condemnation verse 20 nevertheless I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols we said last time it's idolatry what the lord is talking about now as we've already mentioned jezebel and i don't believe this gal was actually named jezebel it was a nickname jesus gave her because she was doing a lot of the things in this church that jezebel did in the old testament who was she Well, she was the wicked queen of the northern kingdom of israel the wife of ahab who led God's people into idolatry and pagan practices. Jezebel allowed herself to be worshipped. Listen, we're reviewing still. But Jezebel allowed herself to be worshipped as the queen of heaven. The queen of heaven. Something that God had forbidden his people from doing. And we see it actually specifically spelled out in Jeremiah 7, chapter 7, verse 18, and in chapter 44, verses 15 to 30. The Queen of Heaven was a Babylonian phrase, a title given to a Babylonian goddess by the name of Semiramis, who was the wife of Nimrod, who together founded the whole whole Babylonian system of pagan worship, which got its start at the Tower of Babel. We talked about that last week. Well, Babel later became Babylon, which became the center of all false religious systems of worship and occult practices on the face of the earth, and when Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians, the priests of this false religious system eventually moved to Pergamus, which is where it was headquartered when Jesus dictated this letter to the church of Pergamus. When he said in chapter two, verse thirteen, "I know where you dwell, even where Satan's throne is," because at this time. Pergamus was the headquarters of this false religious system that started at the Tower of Babel, moved to Babylon, and now was situated there in Pergamos. And then when Rome rose to power, the Babylonian high priest moved the whole system to Rome, where it still remains. Where it still remains. Headquartered in the Vatican. From where it is branched out into the whole world. The word Vatican is Latin and literally means, you ready? Divining serpent. I believe that at the heart of all Babylonian false worship will be the serpent's lie he told Eve in the Garden of Eden. Check out our study, The Battle for Truth, Parts 2 and 3 we went into this in great detail but the same lie that satan used to deceive even the beginning will be the ultimate lie that the antichrist and false prophet will use to deceive the whole world during the end times during the great during the tribulation period i draw your attention to romans chapter 1 verse 25 and second thessalonians 2 verse 11 where Paul in those two passages talks about the lie, the lie. Definite article in the Greek. Not just a lie, there's a lot of lies out there. But this is the lie. It's a very specific lie. I believe it's the very lie that Satan deceived Eve with in the Garden of Eden. And you can go online and listen to those two studies. We talked about this. I'll just say this. It has uh, grown into a great tree... As Jesus described it, where all the birds of the earth lodge in its branches in parables, birds are bad. Birds are bad. They speak of the devil and his demons. I believe that we're going to see the culmination of this apostate religious system. Well, we're going to see it in Revelation 17. It's going to culminate, though, started in the Garden of Eden, has been growing throughout the earth ever since, uh, headquartered in Rome to this day, and it will culminate with, a, with the one world religion, the world church, which Jesus eventually judges and destroys. We'll have a lot more to say about that in chapter 17. That's why I'm not really getting into the, uh, it too much tonight. But this whole system came to be known as Mystery Babylon, the mother of all harlots, the mother of all false religious systems on the face of the earth, I will tell you this, that the Roman Catholic Church sees itself as the Mother Church. And uh, Pope John Paul especially uh, saw himself as bringing the world's religions under the umbrella of Roman Catholicism. Not that they would become Roman Catholics, but that the Roman Catholic Church would spearhead a worldwide religious system. Now, he thought that was a good thing. Uh, the Bible says no, not so much, okay? We'll deal with that. Revelation 17, verse 5, the statement, Mystery of Babylon, the mother of all harlots. But getting back to the Queen of Heaven, the worship of the Queen of Heaven was forbidden by God, but listen, has continued through the centuries and was embraced by many cultures around the world, calling her by many different names. Again, guys, it really began as a mother-child cult, a mother-child cult tracing its roots back to Semiramis and her son Tammuz, again starting at the Tower of Babel. Tammuz was considered the sun god and is why Semiramis is often pictured holding the child with the sun behind each of their heads. In Roman Catholicism, we call them halos it's actually the sun you see these photo- these uh, uh, images uh, predate the Roman Catholic Church it's paganism it's the worship of the sun god and his mother, this mother child cult idols picturing the mother as the queen of heaven with the babe in her arms are found throughout the ancient world after the tower of Babel let me read to you Genesis 11 verse 9. Therefore its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So the Lord confounded the language uh, languages or the language because the earth everyone spoke one language. And so the Lord caused people that speak different languages so they really couldn't communicate because when they did communicate with each other they did this horrible thing building this tower up into the heavens to worship the sun, moon, stars you know, a ziggurat and so we talked about that but they scattered and took this religious cult with them all over the world again they took this mother-child cult with them throughout the world in Phoenicia the mother was called Astareth and the child was called Baal. In Egypt, she was called Isis, and the child was called Horus. In Greece, she was known as Aphrodite, and the child was called Eros. The Romans called her Venus, and the child Cupid. In India, they were known as Isaiah and Azura. Later, when pagan Rome was Christianized under Constantine, the mother became Mary, and the child became Jesus. In the scriptures themselves though many of these facts are not mentioned directly there are a number of allusions in scripture to the conflict we're talking about between God's truth and Satan's lie. started in the Garden of Eden branched out to the whole world I think it was C.S. Lewis said you could trace all the religions of the world back to two two primary sources both started in the Garden of Eden Judeo-Christianity God's truth And Hinduism, Satan's lie. And if you go online and listen to those two studies, you will realize that the roots of Hinduism started in the Garden of Eden. You will not surely die. You'll become a god. There is no ultimate death. The doctrine of, you know, uh, reincarnation. So we talked about that. I don't have time to get into it tonight. But we see little glimpses of this war going on between, you know, I I called that series the battle for truth because that's exactly what it is. We are battling, using God's truth, we are battling Satan's lies. That's what spiritual warfare is at its core. It's not casting out demons. That's a small part of it. It's a war for control of a person's thinking because as a man, woman thinks in their heart, so are they. But we see little glimpses of this struggle in the scriptures. Ezekiel protests against the ceremony of weeping for Tammuz in Ezekiel eight verse fourteen. Jeremiah mentions the heathen practices of making cakes for the queen of heaven Jeremiah seven eighteen and offering incense to the queen of heaven Jeremiah chapter forty four verse seventeen through nineteen and then verse twenty five. Now listen, coming into the New Testament, right? The worship of Baal, characteristic of the pagan religion of the Canaanites, Promised Land uh, religion, was another form of this mystery religion originating in Babylon because Baal is considered identical to Tammuz. One author said, and I quote, "...the doctrines of the mystery religions of Babylon seem to have permeated the ancient world, giving rise to countless mystery religions." Each, of, each with its cult and individual beliefs offering a counterfeit religion and a counterfeit God in opposition to the true God revealed in the scriptures. End quote. As I just said, the latest iteration of this mother-child worship cult has come down uh, through the Roman Catholic Church in the form of Mary Worship to whom the Roman Catholic Church has given the title Queen of Heaven. We talked about that last week. They have officially named Mary the Queen of Heaven. Now the Catholic Church will tell you, we don't worship Mary. But you can check out the Catholic literature on Mary yourself. And you tell me if it's not worship. Okay? But um, they have called Mary the Queen of Heaven. They engage in Mary worship. Uh, They ascribe attributes to her that only God possesses. The Catholic Church believes that she hears the prayers of all Catholics and that she can forgive sins and even that she is co-redeemer along with Jesus, although not every Catholic believes that. And I think this present pope has said that's foolishness. I could be wrong. You can check that out for yourself. But I know John Paul II leaned that way, and there are others. In fact, there's one Catholic church in Italy that has a cross in front of the church with Jesus hanging on one side and Mary hanging on the other. The Roman Catholic Church may claim they don't worship Mary, but that's not true. Maybe not all Catholics, maybe all Catholics don't worship Mary. I didn't as a Roman Catholic, but I know many Catholics do venerate her at very least and worship her uh, oftentimes. So Revelation chapter 2 verse 21, and I gave her time to repent in the ideas of her idolatry. And again, what we're just still reviewing a little bit from last week, but I gave her time to repent of her idolatry, Jesus is saying. The Roman Catholic Church teaches <clears throat> that during the uh, Mass, Uh, Again, the the elements, the bread and wine, are transformed into the literal physical body and blood of Jesus Christ called the Eucharist. Guys, the Eucharist is idolatry because it reduces God to an image or a substance for the purpose of worship. And after the bread, the wafer is converted into the body of Christ during the Catholic Mass. It is then placed on display in a little standing chamber slash holder with a little circular window in it. It's called a monstrance, and they slip the host in back. There's a little slit and it falls into the monstrance and is visible through that little round window. And this monstrance is usually standing, you know, on a stand or it's sitting on a table, but it's raised up. It's got a often a golden sunburst pattern. And again, you have this little window, and now the uh, Eucharist, the host is dropped into this little chamber, this holder, and Jesus is now put on display. That's what they believe. The faithful then come up and they worship Jesus because they believe that host has now been transubstantiated, transformed into the literal body of Jesus Christ. And so now they worship him. That's idolatry. That's not Jesus. That is not Jesus. Who said, you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 21, and I gave her time to repent of her idolatry, and she did not repent. Not only was the church at Thyatira tolerant of false doctrine and idolatry, listen, they were proud of what they were doing and unwilling to repent. Look, as somebody who grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, I can tell you that there's a lot of pride that goes along with being a member of the one church true church that's what we were taught pope benedict who served as pope from 2005 to 2013 got himself into hot water when he said if you're not a member of the roman catholic church you're not a member of the true church that shouldn't shock anybody that's been roman catholic theology for many years and if a person has been raised in the roman catholic church to believe that well it's very hard for them to receive correction from a non-catholic like one of us evangelicals because you're convinced everyone else is playing church when we became born-again christians and eventually through the leading of the holy spirit started the church we were meeting in, well, for the first four years in the clubhouse of my townhouse association. And I remember one young gal was excited about what we were doing and bra- dragged her mom to church one day. It was a staunch Catholic and was very simple, you know. In those days, I just sat by a table. We played some albums of worship and I had a little message, you know. And we were doing the best we could, you know, but we believed God was in it. And uh, afterwards, it came back to me. She said to her daughter, "This wasn't church. These folks are playing church, and that's the mentality. If you're not a Roman Catholic with the church, the cathedral, the stained glass, the statues, you're you're playing church, and that's what they believe. It's very hard for a Roman Catholic to receive from anyone else, non-Roman Catholics." Because again, they were taught, they are taught that they are members of the one true church. Even when the Roman Catholic Church talks about uh, the separated brethren and the commercials, maybe you've seen that, come on home to the Catholic Church. They're opening their arms to all the Protestants, basically, that left the church 500 years ago. And come on home. But even if you study what they're presenting, these folks have to come back and become Roman Catholics again. They can't be, come back to the church as Methodists and Lutherans and so on because they teach that there is salvation only in the Roman Catholic Church. You have to be good, in good standing with the church to be saved. Now Jesus said, I gave them time to repent. Talking now about the Catholic Church because I believe that's what this letter is really looking forward to. I gave them time to repent, but they have not repented. Why? Because, again, they think they're right. There's a lot of pride that goes along with being a member of the one true church, or so they think they are. Well, then Jesus moves into the correction, verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. The idea is, let me paraphrase what I believe the Lord is actually saying. Uh, He's saying she's involved in in sexual immorality, idolatry. She's in a bed with other gods, or in bed with other gods. But I will take her from her bed of harlotry and cast her into a bed of judgment into the great tribulation. Guys, the Catholic Church is going into the great tribulation. And all those who follow her teachings and are guilty of spiritual idolatry, fornication. Now there are a few Roman Catholics that are genuinely saved. I've met a couple over the course of my ministry and they will be raptured. But out of a billion Roman Catholics worldwide, I don't think it's going to be many. I will cast her into great tribulation unless they repent. The inference is, if Catholics do repent, they will escape the great tribulation. You say, repent of what? Repent of all the idolatry, the worship of the saints and Mary and, uh, and uh, all the works they believe are necessary to earn salvation and all these things that we've been talking about. Verse 23, Jesus and I will... It's pretty harsh language. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give each one of you according to your works. And the context is not reward you with good for your good works. The context is I'm going to reward you for your evil works if you don't repent. Who are these children? Well... They are those that were baptized into the church at birth and brought up under this system from generation to generation. I will kill her children with death. The literal is more along these lines. I will put her children to death with death. And the idea is, I'm going to cast them into the lake of fire, which is the second death, which is eternal, forever. All the churches refers to the church throughout history. And I will give every one of you according to your works. Again, the idea here is, sure, uh, there are other passages that G, where Jesus says, I'm going to reward you for your works. And, and, and a lot of that is good. I'm going to reward you for the good things you've done. We know in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, Paul said, Jesus will render to each one according to his deeds, The context, again, is judgment. But Matthew 12, verse 33, the Lord Jesus said, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. And he is basically saying that it's not, the fruit doesn't make the tree, the tree makes the fruit. And if it's a good tree, if it's planted in Christ, this person has faith in Christ, the evidence will be good works. The fact that you guys want to come to church to listen to me on a Wednesday night as we open the Word, wow, I know you're saved. Because who would want that? I I wouldn't have wanted it before I was saved, right? Now, there are some that slip in that don't know the Lord, but the Holy Spirit's tugging. He's tugging on their heart, okay? But uh, think about it. How many of us wanted to go to church, prayer meetings, Bible studies? All these things before we were really saved. I was a Catholic for all my life. I never wanted to do those things before I got saved. And now that I'm saved, the fruit is I have a hunger for the things of God. But there are those who are bad trees in a sense. They're not planted in Christ, they're planted in the world and in some kind of philosophy of life or belief system or whatever. And they bring forth bad fruit. And uh, those things are the works of the flesh. Read Galatians 5, right? Paul said in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man, woman, sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, hell. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And again guys, it's not the good works that save, but the good works are an evidence of what's in a person's heart. A person who is born again has been given a new heart and out of the heart flows the issues of life. In other words, the the good works that come are an evidence that they're saved. Doesn't those works don't get them saved any more than the apples on an apple tree making an apple tree, they just bear witness to that it is an apple tree because this thing is bearing apples, right? Pretty Simple analogy, but it's important. All right, then he moves into the exhortation, verse 24. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. So again, guys, there were true believers in this church, even as there are true believers in the Roman Catholic Church, listen though, in spite of the church, not because of it. And that's because if a person follows Roman Catholic theology to the letter, they will not be going to heaven. Because the Roman Catholic Church has mixed faith in Jesus with good works, lighting of candles, praying the rosary, going to mass, keeping sacraments and holy days as all being necessary to earn their salvation read Galatians 5 Paul makes it very clear if you try to add one ounce of works to God's grace you negate grace and you are divorced from the finished work of Christ God will not share his glory with another it's not you and me God didn't we do a great job in saving me it's I fall on my face and thank him that he would save a sinner like me And again, all I added toward my salvation was the sin. So there are some Catholics who are saved because they don't subscribe to those teachings. They don't worship Mary. They don't believe that lighting candles will get them into heaven. They honestly have been touched by the Holy Spirit, and I believe they know Jesus. Why they stay in the Roman Catholic Church, I'm not sure. Well, I'm here to help people. Well if somebody fell into quicksand, would you jump into the quicksand to help them out or would you stay on the shore and throw them a rope? You don't enter into a false or stay in a false religious system to help people out of that system. You, you leave it, but stay close to those in it and you pray constantly, reach out in love, that they might come out too. Didn't God say, come out of her, my people, and be ye separate, says the Lord? He didn't say, stay in there, my people, and be Covered with the filth of that system and, you know, we'll hope for the best and so on. But again, if a person adds works to the gift of God's grace, which is salvation, well, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not the result of good works, lest any should boast. And so if you try to add your works to the completed work of christ you're not going to get into heaven that's what roman catholic theology actually says that you'll get into heaven if you have faith in jesus plus do good works now guys there's a statement here that i really want to focus in on for a few minutes you might pass over it right away in in reading this little um, letter but he makes the reference in verse 24 Uh, to the depths of Satan, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. That's a very interesting statement. Depths of Satan. The word depth comes from the Greek word bathos, a word that described the priests of the ancient Babylonian false religious system, but especially the high priest of this religion, who took for himself the title of Pontifex Maximus, which means the maximum or highest priest, a title that eventually was given to the Roman Catholic popes, which bear that title to this day, the Roman pontiff, right? But the priests of this mystery religion believed and taught that, the, that only they were given the wisdom and the understanding by the gods to correctly interpret the esoteric doctrines of the mystery religions of Babylon. They believed that only the priests of these ancient mystery religions could understand and interpret its doctrines. And then they, these very holy men, leaders in this, well, we would say a false religious system, a cult, But only they were equipped to understand the deep things of the gods. And then they would tell the people. Because the people, the followers of these religious systems, were not capable of understanding the deep things of a god or the gods. In other words, the deep, the bathos, uh, things of the gods. Which Jesus calls the deep things of Satan the deep things of Satan, any system that tries to tell you that you cannot understand God's word because it's too deep for you. You need them. That's at very least a cult and probably a a false religious system, yes. Because when we accept Christ into our hearts, the Holy Spirit comes inside the spirit of truth, and Jesus said once he's inside of us, he will lead us into all what? All God's truth. Now, we might, as young Christians, we might uh, and should listen to older Christians who will teach us and disciple us. And, uh, you know, it's, God calls men to be pastors, to teach God's word. But it's not that I feel that without me, you'll never learn God's word. The Holy Spirit can teach you. If you, you were on a desert island somewhere, and a, a trunk washed up on shore, and you opened it up and there was a Bible inside. You never saw a Bible in your life. You started reading it, the Holy Spirit would give you the ability to understand, maybe not all of it, but what you need to understand to be saved. Then when the Spirit moves in, he begins will begin to enlighten you even more. You don't need me. Why did I say that? You don't you don't really need me. But I appreciate you coming to listen. But again, guys, where where am I going with this? The idea that only a special few can really understand and interpret the deep deep things of a God or God's is also a doctrine that the Roman Catholic Church embraces and teaches, that only, listen, the magisterium can understand the Bible. What is the magisterium? It is bishops acting together with the Pope. They are the magisterium, and only they can really understand and interpret what the Bible is saying. Look, in my Catholic days, we were told that the average Catholic, well, the non-priest, all, all, all Catholics, beside the priest, that the uh, average Catholic couldn't understand the Bible. We needed to trust the magisterium because they alone could interpret the Bible for us. And uh, the way it worked was the magisterium shared it with the priest, and then you go to your priest, your parish priest, and they will share with you what the Bible is saying. In the really old days, I'm talking five or 600 years ago, The church forbid Catholics from even reading the Bible, and killed many who tried to translate it into the common language of the day, so that the masses could read it for themselves. The church kept its followers enslaved because of ignorance. Many folks were illiterate; they couldn't even read. If they, even if they had a copy in their own language, they couldn't read anyways. And that's how the church controlled them for centuries. Because they couldn't read God's word. God's word is truth that will set us what? Free from Satan's lies. But if you can't read it, it's not going to benefit you. And that's why the reformation eventually came about. And why the reformers pushed education and literacy so hard. And why they started colleges to train men for ministry, but also schools so that people could be educated, could become literate, could read the scriptures for themselves, so that never again could any individual or organization keep them in slavery and bondage to false doctrine because they could read the truth, and the truth would set them free. Now I want you to notice verse 25. Jesus said, but hold fast what you have, what? Till I come. Guys, the letter to the church in Thyatira is the fourth letter in seven that Jesus dictated to John to pass along to the churches of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and then, of course, the churches throughout the world. But as we have been saying, these letters have an historic application as well. These seven churches, in a symbolic way, speak to different periods of church history from the apostolic period, the first century, all the way through to the rapture, which is the close of the church age, the rapture. The first three letters indicate that those churches wouldn't make it to the end. I'll give an example to Smyrna, chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus said, be faithful until death. You're not going to make it. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. However, the last four letters end with the admonition by Jesus to hold fast until I come, or in other words, get right because I'm coming, indicating that these last four would exist together in the last days and would be on the earth together at the time of the rapture. And they are as follows, the Roman Catholic Church, Thyatira, the Protestant Church, Sardis, the Evangelical Church, Philadelphia, and the Liberal Church, Laodicea. And again, guys, this is the first time that Jesus speaks of his second coming. Hold fast, verse 25, till I come. Second coming. Which again means that this church in some form will be around when Jesus comes back. Well, in verse 26 and 7 we have the challenge, or another way to put it would be the promise. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the, pot, like the potter's vessels as I also have received from my Father. So Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron over the face of the whole earth, but those that overcome will reign with him over different places, cities, areas of the earth. The overcomer that Jesus talks about in verse 26 was a reference to the true believer. How do I know that? Because 1 John 5, verse 5 tells us he who is he who overcomes? He who has faith in Jesus Christ. So all believers are overcomers. All right? It's not try real hard to overcome, because if you don't overcome, you're not gonna make it. No, if you're a Christian, if you're a born again believer in Christ, you are an overcomer. By virtue of what Jesus has done, he's won the victory. You're in Christ. You are an overcomer. And that's who Jesus is talking about primarily. It's overcomers who steadfastly maintain the works of genuine Christianity. That, that's the idea. You're an overcomer if you really believe in Jesus Christ and are born again. How do I know that? What are, your, what are your works like? What are your works like? And if your works line up with what the Bible says of the fruits of the Spirit and so on, that's an evidence that you're a genuine child of God. Those who overcome Jesus promises him or her, the reward he was going to give them would be that they would reign with Christ during the millennial kingdom. We just talked about that. He would have, this, the overcomer, would have authority over the nations, just like Jesus. Of course, they would rule under Lord Jesus. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords, but they would be under shepherds in a sense, you know. Uh, kings and lords subject to the king of kings and lord of lords. But um, they would have authority to rule over their various area of authority. How do I know all this? Well, I'll tell you what uh, Jesus said in Math in Luke nineteen verses eleven to twenty-seven. You can look that up. Uh, he gave the parable of the minas. Minas a uh, mina was a, a a weight of of uh, gold, silver, something uh, that was worth money. Okay, and um, he said that you know. I'm going to paraphrase. Um, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to give, you know, through the Holy Spirit, various gifts, abilities. Whoever uses those abilities wisely and multiplies, you know, I've called you into a certain ministry. And if you're faithful and, uh, and your ministry prospers under the leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, and you, t- you take uh, the two minus, I forgot what he gave exactly, and you make ten. You will be ruler over 10 cities in the millennial kingdom. That's how we know that from that scripture, but there's others that, you know what, um, our faithfulness right now is going to be rewarded in the millennial kingdom by having cities that we are going to rule over. Of course, all under the authority of Jesus, okay? But, um, and in the course of ruling over these cities, if anyone becomes a rebel and lawless, I guess we're going to have one of those iron, you know, staffs, you know, rod. And it says of Jesus, you know, if anybody steps out of line, he's going to pop them with this rod, this scepter, uh, like, like uh, iron hits a clay pot. Well, it shatters it. And so though he will not allow any rebellion lawlessness in the millennial kingdom does that mean that even if a person just says a little white lie they're going to be popped i don't think so but i what do i know okay it could be a whole different standard of righteousness we're going to have to live up to uh, but it's going to be a great time i can't even hardly imagine what it's going to be like during the millennial kingdom when uh, every man woman will sit under their own fig tree and not be afraid they will take their uh, their uh, uh, plowshares and pruning. Excuse me. They'll take their swords and their spears and turn them into plowshares and pruning hooks. And they will study and do war no more. The whole earth will be restored to the Garden of Eden. I believe. You're going to have an abundance of fruit, uh, and uh, uh, I don't sense that any living creature is going uh, um, uh, to be a. I'm um, going to be a. Carnivore. They're going to all be, all of us are going to be, you know, herbivores. Um, Jesus said that, you know, there won't be any wild beasts. The Bible says there won't be any wild beasts. Uh, The ox will lay down with the lion. The child will put his hand into the serpent's hole and not be harmed. What an incredible time it's going to be. Verse twenty eight and I will give him the morning star. Uh, the Lord promised to give the overcomer the morning star. The Lord Jesus is the bright and morning star. Revelation 22, verse 16 tells us. One author put it this way. He said, and I quote, Just as the morning star appears in the heavens before the sun rises, so Christ will appear as the morning star to rapture his church to heaven before he appears as the Son of righteousness to reign over the earth. And that word is spelled S-U-N, not S-O-N. The son of, why is the Lord Jesus called the Son of Righteousness, capital S-U-N? Because when he comes, it's going to be the dawn of a new day. The millennial kingdom, it's more than just a literal day, it's going to be a thousand years. That's why he's called the Son of Righteousness. He's going to birth forth forth when he comes onto uh, the world scene like a sun rising for a new day and it's going to be a whole new day in the history of man. But as he appears as the son of righteousness to reign over the earth, thus the overcomer is promised a part in the rapture. He does not earn this by his works, but his works demonstrate the reality of his faith. Because he is genuinely converted, he will be given the morning star, End quote. Now, let me finish with verse 29. Listen to what Jesus says here. He who has an ear, let him hear, what the Spirit says to the Catholic Church, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every church in this, of the seven got all seven letters. I, I don't know if I ever mentioned that. Every one of these seven churches got all seven letters. It's kind of, it sends shivers up your spine to realize that there are churches that apparently, well, let me get to that in a second, that are falling into the same error and idolatry of the Roman Catholic Church. Because he doesn't limit it to just this church. He was ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches Guys, if you would I'll finish with this if you would have told me 20 years ago that Protestant and even evangelical churches would venerate Mary and the Eucharist, I would have told you you're crazy never happened. Yet we're seeing it today. If you would have told me back then that Protestants and evangelicals would claim that the Reformation was a mistake and that Catholics and Protestants were really one big family, were all true believers, I would have said, you're nuts. If you would have told me back then that we would see many Protestant believers and pastors becoming Roman Catholics, evangelical churches where the pastors are crossing themselves and have prayer stations with icons and candles. I would have said, you are crazy. Never happen. Not only is it happening, it happened to one of our Calvary Chapel churches. I couldn't believe it when I saw this pastor. In the basement of the church, they had a little grotto with all kinds of icons, candles. There's a prayer station where you can go and get in the presence of demons i guess i you know they in the presence of these saints using icons because this is what you need to do if you had told me back then that evangelical churches would become emerging churches quote unquote embracing something called vintage faith what is vintage faith It's going back to the mystical meditation practices of what was called the Desert Fathers, a group of Catholic monks in the 3rd and 4th century AD that went out into the deserts to get close with God, to live a monastic life away from the world because that's how they believed they achieved holiness. But of course, they needed supplies out there in the wilderness. And by the way, the Greek word for desert is where we get a word hermit from. These were Catholic monk hermits, but they needed supplies. And so they had to go out uh, into these desert places close enough to uh, the trade routes where, you know, caravans would come where they could buy supplies. And no doubt around campfires that, you know, they would typically these these traders and merchants would be, you know, riding in these uh, in these, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, where they would be out there, you know, and and they would be uh, riding to the next town or city to to trade or to sell, they would take a break and they would share their faiths. And uh, and so these Catholic monks picked up Eastern meditation practices. I mean, we are called to meditate as, as Christians on God's word and so on. But our meditation that the Bible teaches is not Eastern mysticism. It's not emptying the mind of all thought until you reach what's called the silence. Well, how do you do that? by repeating a mantra over and over again or visualizing Jesus or, uh, or breathing exercises that will bring you into this altered state of consciousness called the silence, and in the silence you have now direct access to God. It's demonic. It's not biblical prayer or meditation. But they picked this stuff up. It had died out for a long time, and in the 60s it was revived. By a Catholic priest slash Buddhist monk, trapezoid monk. It's you know, it's just too much for the mind to comprehend. But he revived it because he found out about it and brought it into the Catholic Church, where it's become pff, it's exploded, and not in just in the Catholic Church, but evangelical churches. Um, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline considered a classic among Christians. He said the greatest chapter in that book, Foster said it, is the chapter on visualization. A Hindu technique. Because they've Christianized it though, and let's use it to get close to God. Hey, it's wonderful to want to get close to God. You have to do it in the right way. Okay? Just because you want to get close to God doesn't mean you can use a Ouija board or a crystal ball or something like that. There are things that are so demonic, they're tainted, they, they won't get you to God. They'll get you to demons who will masquerade as God. You can listen to the fourth study, fourth, fifth, sixth in that battle for truth. We talked about that in great detail. But let me just say this to you. these, And we'll close. These emerging pastors now, and they're, and they're, they're all over the place, usually real hip young guys, and they're just real charismatic these emerging pastors are telling us, and I'm quoting what I've heard from them: We have to give this young generation high church, which is liturgical church, because they want experiences, not doctrine. I mean, doctrine. Well, come on, doctrine is dusty and boring. Doctrine divides, but ex- experiences they unite. We need a multi. This is a a, a Term they use. We need a multi-sensory worship experience. What does that mean? Well, it means candles and incense, special lighting, stained glass windows, labyrinth. You gotta see, feel, uh, smell. You gotta take in all these different senses because now you're being brought into this multi-sensory worship experience and you're having experiences unite. You know, doctrine divides, but now you have, you know, you have. Uh, Roman Catholics, and you have Protestants and Evangelicals and others all experiencing the same experience. Oh, that unites us. Yeah, an error. That's how we're going to bring people together through high church. Guys, the Roman Catholic Church is the high church. The Russian Orthodox Church is the high church. The Greek Orthodox Church is high church. Folks, the high church, listen now, is the apostate church. The true church is low church. What does that mean? Very simple. No candles, no liturgy, no statues, no stained glass windows. If I can't worship God with all that stuff around me, sure you could. But it distracts it gets in the way and it causes a lot of people to think if i'm not in a church with all that stuff i'm not in the presence of god and that's where the devil gets you again the early church started in living rooms and basements and you know outside and there were no stained glass windows and statues and none of that when our church started we started in our living room 40 years ago again a lot of folks said this is not real church and they never came back but that's the true church not distracted by all these props that people feel they need to be in god's presence okay i'll just end with this i love roman catholics i said this last week let me say it again we'll close i love roman catholics but i hate the roman catholic church It is going into the great tribulation, and anyone who follows its teachings are going in also. Come out of her, my people, and be separate, says the Lord. That's what happened with the Reformation. Didn't go so well after a while. We'll look at Sardis next week, which signifies the Protestant Reformation. Let's pray. Father. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We thank you, Lord, for our time in your word. Lord, we are living in dark, deceptive days. The apostasy has taken hold in the church, and many who are calling themselves Christians, Lord, are into paganism, which has been Christianized. Father, give grace that we might stand for truth and be able to share your truth kindly Humbly with people that have been taken captive by the devil through his lies. We ask you to to keep blessing these studies in your word. I don't think they could be any more timely than they are right now, given the world we're living in. We thank you, Lord. We know you're coming as soon. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen.